In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. In our passage in Genesis chapter 15, Abram is in a tough spot. And I wonder if you can relate. As we find him this morning, uh, Abram is in his early 80s. A few years before this, uh, he had heard the voice of God telling him that he was going to be the father of a great nation. And so he uprooted his wife and his servants, packed up all his livestock and his worldly possessions, and he moved to the land that God was going to give him, the land that we know is Israel. He was going to be not just a father, but the father. Not a father of of a great kid, but the father of a great nation. And so his chest was puffed out. His spirits were high. His faith was strong. But the years rolled by. We find him this morning. He is not the father of anyone. And he's looking at his body. He's looking at Sarah's body. And what he was once so sure of, once so full of faith about, is now uh, under a cloud of doubt and darkening uh, into despair. And you can see the problem, right? I mean, Abram believed that he had heard from God and believed that God had made him a promise. But all the physical evidence around him, which was mounting day by day, uh, said that that promise was going to get broken. You know, it, it just did not look like God was going to come through. Maybe... Maybe God wasn't even there. The father of a great nation. He's in his 80s. He doesn't have a son. He does not have any children, no heir except uh, his chief steward, a servant, Eliezer of Damascus. Abram is in a tough spot. It's a spot of doubt, a spot of questioning. He's in a place of barrenness, literally in regard to his family, but also I would think spiritually a place of barrenness because it just did not look like and it certainly did not feel like God was going to come through. Abram is in a tough spot and I wonder if you can relate it's a great quandary to consider in Lent, right? It's a, I, I wonder if you've ever been in that same place like we find Abram in this morning, waiting and waiting and waiting for God to show up, wondering if He is even there. Once your faith was so full like a rushing river and now it's more like a dripping faucet because you've been praying and praying, and praying about something, and it doesn't look like it's changing. It's your difficult marriage. It's your addiction. 
can't find a job, you can't get pregnant, your kid is off the rails, the doctor can't figure out what's wrong, the grief from the loss of your loved one is overwhelming, you can't seem to forgive, it's the specter of gun violence or political divisiveness, whatever it is for you. Do you know what this passage says? It says that you are not alone. And in fact, this passage says that God is there and that God is good and that He's got this. Whatever this is for you, He's got this and that the waiting may be part of the process. And so this morning I want to offer Three points from this passage that tell us that whatever you're going through, God is there. So we want to take a look at God's initiative, God's promise, and God's covenant. God's initiative, God's promise, God's covenant. So first, God's initiative. The passage begins, The word of the Lord came to Abraham or Abram, as he's called here, uh, in a vision. The word of the Lord came to Abram. It does not say that Abram is looking for God at this point. This is the same God who called him years earlier, who told him, you're going to be the father of a great nation. It's the same God who has been making Abram wait for the son that would signal the fulfillment of this promise. The same God comes to Abram. And meets him in his dark cloud of despair. And I want you to listen to these first words that God speaks to him. Gracious words of hope. Words of comfort. Compassion. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. For I am your shield and your reward will be very great. Now, as gracious and compassionate as these words of God are, it seems that just the sound of God's voice to Abram brings out all his pent-up frustration. I mean, he is worried. He is worried about the promise that he uh, says that he's going to have an heir. Uh, He sees that he has lost control of the situation. He and Sarah are beyond their physical capacity to fix the problem. They are barren and they are old. Now, Abram might have thought that when God told him that he would have an heir, that God was telling him to get to work. Or maybe that God was going to fix the plumbing. (laughs) But the days of making babies are beyond. They're gone for Abram and Sarah. And the promise remains unfulfilled. Now remember, Abram doesn't have Scripture that he can read at this point. He doesn't have forefathers in the faith that he can look to. He is page one on a new chapter of salvation history. So he doesn't know that God is relieving Abram of the capacity to fix the problem so that when God shows up, God gets the glory. But God's teaching him. He says, you have nothing to fear, Abram. I am your shield. I am here. You're in my hands. 
I am in control. I've got this. The word of the Lord came to Abram right at Abram's point of need. It was God's initiative. God was pursuing Abram. And he was going to keep his promise. But he's going to do it on his own terms, in his own way, in his own timeline. And for Abram, the waiting is part of the process. And it may be for you too. Hear me. The delay of God's action does not mean the absence of God's presence. The delay of God's action does not mean the absence of God's presence. So God reiterates to Abram then his promise. That's our second point. Our God's promise. At his own initiative, God continues to take the initiative. He brings Abram out and shows him the night sky. Now, have you seen the night sky with no moon, no city lights before? No light pollution, just the the Milky Way would have been lit up. The constellations all in their place telling their stories. And remember to Abram, these stars were just dots of light on a black canvas. He had no way to know that he was looking uh, at massive flaming balls of gas millions of light years away. To him, it was, just, um, it was just elegant beauty and twinkling multitude arranged by the hand of God. And he believed the Lord. This is an incredibly important verse. St. Paul uh, uses this as one of his primary verses to talk about uh, the fact that we are justified by faith. Abraham believed the Lord. He went from doubt to determined belief, just like that. What changed? I mean, the stars are pretty, but they're not going to fix the problem. God had made the promise before. The problem in and of itself, the promise in and of itself is not going to fix the problem. So what changed? The scholar Walter Brueggemann writes this. He says, Why and how does one continue to trust solely in the promise when the evidence against the promise is all around? It is this scandal that is faced here, and it is Abram's embrace of this scandal that makes him the father of faith. See, it seems that under that vast night sky, what changed is that Abram decided to let God be God. To God's initiative and God's promise, Abram's proper response was not one of action, but one of surrender. I'm taking my hands off the wheel, God. I'm trusting for you to drive. God is not my co pilot. God is the pilot. And I'm buckled in the back seat just holding on for dear life. Amy and I have known this struggle of letting God be God many times, whether it's in our marriage or in our parenting, uh, many times in our finances or in other relationships, certainly in our career, like just knowing where we were going to land. 
It's hard to trust God when we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And it feels good. Sometimes it feels right to try to take the wheel, to take control. We want to feel like we're in control and pretend that we've got a better map than God does of the road ahead. Amy and I have found in small ways what Abram found in a massive way that God's got this. Abram believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The Lord counted Abram as righteous, as having full acceptance and access to God, not because of Abram's actions, but because of his faith. Now, I want to be really, really clear about what I'm saying and what I am not saying. Right? I'm not saying that God is going to fix the thing that you are worrying about in the way that you think he ought to. Now listen, I'm going to pray, I'd love to pray, with, eagerly pray with you for that thing. But Abram had a clear idea of how God was going to fix his problem, and he and Sarah still had to wait 20 more years after this before Isaac was born. And I would love to say, you know, it just all works out it's, uh, for the best, but i got to say, it's probably not easy to have a newborn and be 100 years old. Changing the diaper on? I'm going to lay down. (laughs) But God had it. He was in it all the way. It wasn't easy. And that's what I'm saying. Whatever it is, God has it. He's in it all the way. That's His promise. It's not a call to passivity. But it is a call to trust, a call to surrender, and it's a daily call. Because, I mean, I can give it up to God today, but tomorrow I got my hands right back on the wheel. It's that daily calling that as you keep your eyes on God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that He will be with you and He will see you through, but it will be in His time and in His way. And I admit to you readily that trusting God like that can be scary. And so what a comfort that we have God's third point, our final point, which is God's covenant. God's covenant. Now we have a, this is a really strange, this, this ritual that we see, very strange to us, kind of barbaric. They take the animals, they cut them in half, put them against each other. Kind of gross, right? But it's a contract. They didn't have paper and pen to write it up, so they just used what they had. They had livestock. That's the way they did it uh, back then. And and we know from other ancient sources that in the covenants of the day, these these covenants were binding contracts with serious consequences for breaking the agreement. And the equivalent of signing the contract, that our name is our bond, right? We sign our contracts. Their equivalent was walking between the, the pieces of the animals. And so like if a renter of the land was making a contract with the Lord of the land. It was always the lesser party that would walk between the the pieces of the animals, essentially saying, if I fail to uphold my end of the bargain, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm just pretty serious. But did you notice that Abram, who's certainly the lesser party in this contract with God, this covenant, that he doesn't walk between the pieces of the animals. 
That the God who would one day present Himself to Moses as a burning bush and as a pillar of fire to the wandering Israelites, that He shows Himself to Abram as a smoking pot of fire and a flaming torch, and God passes between the animal parts. And what He's saying is if you fail to uphold your end of the bargain, and you will, this is what's going to happen to Me. I will be taking your fate upon Myself. See, God is binding Himself to His people, binding Himself to this beautiful multitude that He has promised to Abraham, promising that He will take the penalty that is their due, that is our due. And there's lots more to say about this, but we can jump forward two millennia to the cross of Jesus Christ where this is most fully and ultimately fulfilled. The cross where we see the death of God the Son. And we often very rightly think of the cross as the place where God grants us the forgiveness of our sins. But can we also think of the cross as the towering monument of the new covenant? The binding signature of God's declaration that He has sacrificed Himself to, our, uh, to His own judgment. So that by His mercy we may be free and trust that He is with you. And He is for you. He's got this. It would be scary enough to face barrenness, but Abram was facing the, the, the fear of a broken promise. Maybe worse. And it was in the face of that that he is called to trust and let God be God. Not an easy ask. Again, Brueggemann writes, the faith of Abram is not in anything that he can see in the world. But rather, his faith is in a word of God which will overcome the barrenness of this world. Faith is reliance on God's promise of overcoming the present for a new life. So friends, this Lent, and always, let us look to the cross of Jesus Christ and in the face of whatever barrenness that lies before us, let's see in the cross that renewed declaration of God's initiative to pursue us. God's promise to be with us. And God's covenant to bind Himself to us and us to Himself. Faith is the reliance of God's promise of overcoming the present for a new life. God's got this. He is with you. Amen.